This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. My guest today is Chandrish Bardwaj, and I'm going to just read you Chandrish's bio very quickly before we get into this conversation. Uh, Chandrish is a seventh generation lineage holder from a family of Indian gurus practicing the tantric tradition. He is an internationally acclaimed speaker and founder of the Break the Norms movement with locations in New York, Los Angeles, New Delhi, and Amsterdam. For more information, visit BreakTheNorms.com, and that website will also be linked on the pages. Um, well, so welcome to the show, Chandresh. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. My honor and such a pleasure to connect with you here. Yes, you too. Um, as we, Chandresh and I were speaking before the podcast, we are somewhat familiar with one another's work from uh-huh. the, for the past couple of years. So this is actually our first time, though, coming together and connecting. A uh, long time coming, it feels like. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I want to tell to the, uh, the audience, those who are listening and watching, when I first stumbled upon Chris's work, my first immediate reaction was someone is already doing it's so well that I want to do the way I want to present spirituality. Someone is doing it so well. And Chris has taken the bar higher with his second book, uh, Everything Mind. And uh, thank you, Chris, for being you, for being so raw and honest in, in your work. Well, thank you. That is really humbling because I deeply appreciate your work as well. Um, I love your your new book, Break the Norms, which we share a publisher and sounds true, a wonderful <laughs> publisher. Yes. Um as I'm reading this, it's funny. I'm like, oh, my God, I could have written that. I could have written that. I could have written that. Like, it's like we're on the same page. Exactly. Um, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. And and also for readers, uh, kind of incredible that you have a forward by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. That's amazing. Um, yes. Congrats to you on that. Yes, I'm very grateful to His Holiness. You know, he... I wanted just just a one-line praise. And I, in my mind, I was saying, even if he can write, read this book, that's all. I'll be happy with that. Yeah. Even if he writes, great. That's, you know, <laughs> that's I would have been happy with you in that also. But he, yeah, he really uh, went, you know, he became very generous and he gave me the forward. So yeah. I'm always going to be thankful to him forever. Yes. Well, congrats. That's really, it's quite a, an accolade. Very, very cool. Thank you. Yeah. So I figured... We would start out go and go back a little bit. Um, you, you talk in the book about growing up in a family of gurus, of spiritual gurus. Uh, I love the way you describe it, but I, I would love for you to share a bit about that with the audience because that must have been quite a, an interesting childhood for you. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I saw my father meditating, my mom everyone in the family, even the people who would come, they would always be in their, you know, spiritual zone. So, and I am, I hardly see them, uh, you know, out in the public. And when I see them in my house and as a little kid, I thought that's how everyone behaves, you know, in a very gentle, calming manner. And people do have deep problems. And that's why they are here to see dad. And, uh, uh, that was my view of the world. That world is all about spirituality, divinity. And the, the funny thing was, I you know, I, because in, if you grew up in India, you would end up watching a lot of uh, spiritual TV shows. 
there was a huge hit. You know, th- back then there were not many TV shows, so there was a huge hit called Ramayana and Mahabharata. This is the story of Krishna, Lord mm-hmm. Krishna, and King Rama, and all those amazing godly figures in India. And in these TV shows, they show the monks and saints always meditating, even when they're angry, even when they're happy. So I always thought the way you express anger is through meditating. So every time I was angry or, or unhappy with my parents or they didn't get me this gift or they didn't you know, take me there, I would lock myself in meditation room and I would start meditating. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I used to do that. Like I did that for years. I would sit down. The more angry I am, the for more hours I'll sit. And I thought that's how you express anger. That's how you can channel you know, the things in your, your favor. Mm. Uh, but I'm glad. I'm, I, I'm glad I didn't know the other way because those hours of meditation really built a strong foundation to, to control my temperaments, emotional fluctuations. We all have that. Right. So those innocent experiences, you know, kind of guided me. Uh, uh, I could have, I'm a Leo. Leos can be very, uh, uh, no, they have their temperaments. Let's just say that. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a Leo, and uh, I could have taken the other route also. But I, I feel a Leo when it's he's channeled into spirituality, or a female Leo, they, they really, uh, you know, tap into their inner creativity. And that's with everyone, actually, mm-hmm. not just with Leo. So, yeah, growing up in 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 this spiritual uh, environment was very amazing. Mm-hmm. It, I also feel I became more mature at a young age because I did see a lot of turbulence, a lot of challenges also of some of the people who were very famous and powerful in the public. And when they would actually meet my dad in a closed room, they would, you know, break down. They would cry. I saw them in a very vulnerable uh, state. Right. So I realized they may have five bodyguards outside my home, you know, to protect them because they're so powerful. But they also have their share of problems and uh, that's worse than you know a normal man right because they can't even express their challenges so that it it just taught me a lot about life Uh, Mm. it made me question a lot it made me uh, think a lot about life and i i didn't have that typical childhood i didn't play a lot of video games i didn't play out much i mean i played out but i was mostly questioning thinking and really tapping into all of this, what exactly is all this? Right. It's it's really cool that, you know, you had that overall, though, it was a, a positive experience for you, you know, being surrounded by that. There are so many people here in Western culture that I've met that had whatever the particular religion was, and it's usually Christianity more often than not, but forced upon them as a child and they were dragged to church and it just left a really bad taste in their mouth. And so they've grown up very cynical towards religion and spirituality in general, um, very closed off from it. So it was really refreshing to read that that's not, you know, that wasn't the case for you. That's not the case, you know, in different cultures. But uh, it is unfortunate that, of course, that's not always the case here in the West. But I can't tell you how many times I have come across that, you know, especially as I will go out and speak to younger people, whether it's in a rehab or in a college, it doesn't matter. I find that there's a lot of uh, cynicism towards not just religion, but even the idea of spirituality, that's and that's it. just rooted back to their childhood. So I think to a certain extent, that cynicism is healthy, so we're not just you know feeding in and, and rehashing old dogmas, but at the same time, I see how it also can close people off, you know, to, to just completely shut them off. So anyways, it's part of the work we both do. You know, I know we're both... Uh, offering a lot of our, our services towards these, these people coming up, the younger generation of truth seekers. So mm-hmm. it was really cool to see that, uh, again, that that was not the case for you. Um, now, you also share in the book about the passing of your sister and a close childhood friend while we're still talking about your, your earlier years. And both of these happened within a few years of one another. Uh, and you write about how it became a catalyst that planted these seeds of questioning in you. So kind of speaking about being younger and questioning things. Um, but particularly in your case about life and death and meaning and how to live. So would you mind talking a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, so before my sister passed away, yeah. I was deeply into spirituality. But that was what I call fun spirituality. I would meditate I would travel with my father. I would, you know, spend 
hours meditating by the holy river ganges in india and uh, uh, dalai lama's town is half an hour away from my hometown in india so we would go there i mean it was all fun creative exploration uh, i would read books on tantra it fascinated me so there was not sadness involved not much uh, you know uh, there was no challenges there it was all fun creative exploration uh, when my sister fell sick um i thought she'll be fine you know she was young she was 19 and people fall sick they get better but we were we were changing hospital to hospital she didn't get better and although people my mother would break down often and she'll uh, feel that you know uh, what's going to happen i never thought she'll die and when that happened it changed everything in my consciousness i was in denial i was in doubt confusion what really happened especially with our family we have been helping people always we have good karma right and why would this happen to us and uh, especially to to my father i mean i was a little kid but my father he's such a selfless spiritual healer you know he works for people he serves people my grandpa was such a great man and i thought why would it happen to them forget about me but they are parents yeah. why would it happen to them and that made me question a lot about god and death both of them and that's when i began the journey of understanding death mainly death uh and through death i came to know a lot about life and i realized i need to be comfortable with death in order to live my life completely mm. uh it was a very very challenging time for me and we moved to to new york uh, two years after her death my, I I was in uh, 11th grade when she passed away and after 12th uh, I moved to US me and mom uh, both moved to New York because dad was here uh, so it, uh, I was recovering from that I was able to tap the whole tragedy into into something deeper and I was meditating for hours and hours every day and suddenly my best friend my childhood friend we were friends since we were in first grade <laughs> he passed away and his his death was very tragic he didn't die of uh, any disease uh, people some people said it's a murder some said it's a suicide so it still remains a mystery wow and his parents his father is a big politician in india and he decided not to tap into into it uh, they lost the election that year so a lot of people feel it was a murder mm-hmm. uh, and i spoke to him just a week ago and uh, for the first time he was very ambitious about you know uh, coming here and studying uh, he was always ambitious but that day he said you know i've had uh, a good time in india and dad's elections are over and i think now i can you know just focus on my studies for next few years i don't need to be traveling with him all the time and i think i'll come to us to study law his father is a lawyer also uh, so we were talking about that and he made all the plans and suddenly one morning i got the phone call uh i didn't slept in that room for one month i that room haunted me yeah uh, but these two experiences changed everything in my life in my journey and i'm so grateful for all my friends today my family and i become more protective more uh affectionate and more expressive toward people i love mm. uh because i feel i was not expressive enough with both of them sure. with my sister and my friend i was young and i grew up in an environment where the expression of love uh it's just done differently yeah. than here and we don't say i love you often we don't say i'm sorry often i still don't say i love you to my my parents <laughs> it's it's just an actions that we express our love right. uh but i've become more expressive uh to my friends even the students i work with because i feel it's so important life is unpredictable and certain it's always going to be that way yeah very well said yeah. so a lot of the people that i do the work with are coming from these painful backgrounds whether it is you know the the tragic loss of people like you experienced or drug and alcohol addiction or anxiety mm-hmm. PTSD on and on you know just the, the myriad ways in which we as human beings experience suffering mm-hmm. so in your experience how can we use these kinds of painful times like the experience of losing your your sister and your best friend so close together how can we use those in a way that become catalysts towards our own spiritual growth and development. What do you think about that? I think Chris the, the number one lesson I learned was uh, 
life has its seasons. You know, just that we we have four seasons in LA. We don't have one season of raining and snow, but we at least have you know sort of winter and summer. But life has uh, every year has its seasons, and we are okay with accepting all the seasons. We don't stop going out when it's raining or snowing. We do go out. We do carry our work. It's a bit challenging, but we still carry on, right? Mm-hmm. So if we are okay with that Mother Nature's system that she is going to give us multiple seasons and the cyclones and the storms and the earthquakes, and we just got to be strong enough to bear all of that, the same way we have to accept that divinity and life, they it's going to have its own share of cycles and seasons. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to be happiness, not always going to be sadness. You've got to go through these cycles because that's how the learning process is. Uh, That's how you're supposed to learn. There's not going to be a a human holding your hand and teaching you minute by minute of life, right? Mm -hmm. Even if that person appears, we may not even listen to him, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's human mind. Uh, So we, that's, 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 that's nature's way of teaching you. And and, uh, nature could be harsh at times, but our parents could be harsh at times also because they know we need that tough love. And I I completely uh, agree that if I if I didn't have these two tra- uh, tragedies in my life, I would have probably doing something else. You know, uh, I may still have been in spirituality, but not. I wouldn't have gone as deeper, or it may have have taken me twenty more years to understand life in its in its depth. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the understanding that life is always going to be in different seasons, and I. I got to be okay with accepting every season. I just cannot always expect happiness and escape sadness. Yeah. Escapism is not spirituality. And I know you you are a big advocate of that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirituality is not escapism. Right. It's about dealing with your demons yeah. and truly seeing the lesson there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Um right. And it's not easy. You know, a lot of people, and I've talked frequently about this on the show, but a lot of people, especially those newer to the path, think that, all right, I'm going to pick up a meditation practice or a yoga practice, maybe both mantra, whatever the case may be, and life's going to just become magical. Everything's going to be blissful and it's going to be great. Whereas, yes, you will certainly have some really beautiful experiences. It's a natural byproduct. But it also is going to pull up a lot of that wreckage of our past, that the murk that's in there and usually on that unconscious level. And not only are we going to have to sift through that, but also we're not going to be able to numb out. You know, we're going to have this new awareness that comes because of these practices. It's like the Matrix. I, I, I often joke there's a scene in the first Matrix film where a guy, he's eating a steak and he wants to like go back to not remembering, you know, before he he woke up, so to speak, out of the Matrix. He just wants to forget it all. And that's what happens on the spiritual path. You know, once you step on, this awareness starts to happen. You can't. Well, you can, but it's just you notice that you're suppressing these things and, and they mm-hmm. nag at you. And so you're absolutely right. It really. Uh, but but that's also the beauty of it, because then we can show up for it and work with it in a skillful way and a mm-hmm. way that makes us a healthier human being. And then we can come out into the world that mm-hmm. much better and offer that better version of ourselves to mm-hmm. others. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you, you talked about, you know, if this hadn't have happened, maybe you wouldn't be in the line of work you're in today. Um, I want to talk about the line of work that you do. You know, so before the book came out there, mm-hmm. it started with the movement, the Break the Norms movement. So mm-hmm. I would love for you to talk a little about that. I know in the book you talk about how it happened sooner than you'd anticipated or planned. And uh, so please share anything you'd like to about that. So uh, I moved to New York from India in 2004, mm-hmm. and I, got, I I moved because I got admission in a business school, a Zicklin School of Business in New York. It's a, a city university of New York. So I was very happy because uh, I wanted to pursue my education in finance and accounting. And because in India, you have to choose your major in 11th grade. Wow. So I already had chosen accounting uh, and finance as major. So I had to just continue studying that. So I moved to... Uh, uh, New York, different people, different culture. It was a you know big culture shock. I come from a very uh, small town in India, so uh, being in college for the first year, I felt very lost, disconnected, and not enjoying the process at all. I missed my family, my friends. Mom, dad were with me, but uh, I missed the rest of the families in India. So I missed all of them. Mm-hmm. And after one year, I got the chance to 
write for a college newspaper. And it happened in, in, in a very interesting way. Actually, uh, uh, I had some incident with a security guard in college. She was very rude. I needed to go somewhere. She was uninterested, rude, and she was watching a movie on a laptop, and she was not paying attention to us. And it was eleven o'clock in the night, and we needed some help, for, you know, from from her. And I thought, you know, this needs to be addressed. So I, I wrote a full complaint, and I, I reached out to the college newspaper. It was the award-winning newspaper of the whole university, so it was a very important piece. And I thought, I'll make it happen. I, it took me seven to ten days to figure out who's the person responsible to teach, uh, to publish this piece. And finally, when I went to the newspaper office, I realized how important uh, the newspaper is among the students. I understood the whole process. And I decided not to publish that piece because it was full of complaint, negativity. And I, decide, I always have been writing. Uh, so I thought, instead of publishing this, I'm going to write a different note on positivity and how you can channel this experience. So instead I wrote something completely different, which was titled, uh, Beware of what you speak, it might just come uh, true. Sorry, Beware of what you think, it might just come true. It was on, on the thoughts. So that piece got published and my editor emailed me. She said, if you can write something like this, we would love to give you a column, a weekly column. Mm. And it's a business newspaper, so your column would be something different. And I didn't know how to write in English. Uh, I, 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 this article I wrote, I got it edited, I sent to 10 friends. I was not very well versed in uh, you know English writing. I always wrote in Hindi and English was just, uh, it's a second language yeah. you know, and, uh, for, for me. So I was not confident enough to write that and I was you know laughing, looking at my computer screen and dad asked me why you're laughing and I said uh, the editor wants me to write a weekly column. And he said, what's there to laugh? It's a great thing. He said, I said, no, I, I can't write in English. He said, but you did this one. I said, but it took me many days. I, I don't know if I can write a weekly column. He said, being a writer is in your destiny. Just because, And your grandpa was a writer too. So I know you will be a writer. You can't let this go. You've got to you know, pick this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I said, dad, you don't speak English. I don't write English well. Who Who's going to do this job and he said you will you just got to say yes to it so it was just him he encouraged me and i said yes to it and i ended up writing more than 40 articles uh, wow. in the newspaper every week it would publish and then they gave me another column called ask chandresh where students will send me the questions on life i would just address them either on the newspaper or i'll meet them in person sometimes so that actually the journey began there, uh, you know, when I got this opportunity to share my journey. Yeah. And um, I became I, I became happier in college. I started enjoying the process. And I was not enjoying the accounting and finance. I was enjoying this process. And uh, it was during these college years that uh, Newsday newspaper, it picked, picked these columns and they published a story on me titled At the Age of 21, Giving Advice to Grown-Ups. Uh, and that also gave me a big sign that I have a calling to write, to speak, to help people. Uh, but I, I was still continuing my journey in finance. And that was weird for me that why I'm still doing it, right? But I guess sometimes you don't have enough courage and not enough gratitude for what you you know have. So I was still continuing my studies, my internships. My first internship boss, my CPA, she said, you're not meant for this. You are meant for spirituality, philosophy, social work. And she had no clue about my background. Mm-hmm. And I thanked her in the in the book. Maureen is her name. And she's CPA of Break the Norms and every work I do now. So that was my first sign. And then I got a great internship uh, at a wealth management company in, in Manhattan. It was a dream job. Uh, and it, But it was there that I decided to quit uh, Wall Street forever. The environment was very negative. Uh, there was a lot of aggression, judgment, anger, a lot of anger every day. And I realized I don't need to do this. Uh, I don't need to plan my life in this way. I have a different interest. My passion is different. So I just need to have enough courage to do that. And I need to start feeling grateful for the gifts I have. Uh, this is this is something I'm doing maybe to get my, my monthly salary check. Mm. This is not something I'm so grateful for. I'm grateful for my passion for spirituality. Um, 
so that gave me the courage to leave Wall Street. And then I assisted my father for a few years. Uh, I traveled with him. Uh, you know, learning spirituality was one thing, but applying it to help people was a different uh, story. So I learned with him how to really heal people, how to really learn the knowledge I have and apply in practical life. And it was then I in 2009, I opened Break the Norms. I launched Break the Norms as a company, as organization. So that movement began in Long Island right. in New York. So we started with doing weekly talks. Uh, the talks became popular in, in Long Island. And then I started traveling out, out of Long Island, out of country. And then I, one day I was moving to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> and so, that's where you live now is in L.A.? I'm in L.A. right now. Yeah, yeah I, li- I live here now. Cool. Well, that's incredible. And I, I, I love the offerings that you guys have at Break the Norms. It's so cool to see that it has spread and, you know, grown the way it has. And I'm sure will continue to. Uh, it reminds me, it's a, it's not the same teachings, but of uh, Noah Levine and Dharma Punks. You know, here's a younger guy that's just yeah. trying to bring the Buddhist teachings to a younger generation. And he yeah. has just flourished. So it's lovely to see, like, there are these younger people out here that are offering these mm-hmm. teachings in a raw and real way, mm-hmm. which actually brings me up to the next thing I want to talk to you about, something we both really resonate, I think, with one another on, and that's the problem with today's New Age spirituality. I know. <laughs> so what I wanted to do was there. there's an excerpt out of your book I wanted to read, um, huh? and then we can discuss further. Um, but I want to share, uh, there's a few excerpts out of your book as sure. the conversation goes on, I would love to share with the listeners. Um, so yeah, this section, it's uh, out of chapter two on censored spirituality. And the, uh, this section is called The Problems with Today's New Age Spirituality. And you write, there's a huge wave of spirituality in the world today. Seekers want to move beyond religion and find solace in something different, modern and practical. They think if they can be spiritual but not religious, they will avoid the pitfalls of all or of organized religion, like guilt, abuse of power, and degradation of women, children, same-sex couples, or even through beliefs about humanity's right to control the world, the environment. While I'm happy to see that more and more people are inclined towards spirituality, this new wave is not without problems of its own. I see plenty of spiritual aspirants who leave the religions of their parents only to substitute one dogma for another. Instead of being told that premarital sex is a sin, followers are told that eating sugar or not recycling is a sin. Again, we are missing the points of a spiritual path, truth, love, freedom, and real happiness. When we are seeking, we become vulnerable to a cult mentality in which no one questions what they are told, and they act just as blindly without consideration of how mandates fit their own conscience and values. In the absence of true, authentic spiritual guidance, through this blind adherence, we perpetuate suffering in ourselves and in the world around us. Chanting Sanskrit mantras, cursing freely, getting symbolic tattoos, and becoming vegan are not real signs of a New Age, I am rebellious spirituality. Yet this is what most New Age spiritualists do. This New Age, spiritual but not religious wave has consequently developed its own type of spiritual norms. And these New Age norms have become cults of their own. They offer shirts we think we must wear to enjoy the party and to be accepted or even appreciated because everyone is either with us or against us. So, man, I don't know if I said this when we were recording or not, but, you know, I read a lot of this stuff you write and it's like, man, I, I could have written that myself, you know, minus the part maybe about the tattoos and the swearing. Cause Hey man, I'm tattooed. Sometimes, sometimes I curse like a sailor. Sometimes I don't, it just, whatever comes up, comes out. But so let's talk about this. Cause you know, that aside, you're right. You know, I, I know we do a lot of speaking. We travel a lot. We meet tons of people uh-huh. and I certainly have witnessed my fair share of that. And I continue to. And so it's, it's tough at times because I watch my ego creep in and, and want to start judging. But then I also remember I went through a phase like that too. You know, Cho Gim Trungpa talks about cutting through spiritual materialism, you know, fantastic book. Um, and I certainly was a spiritual materialist, you know, when I first started out. But what I've learned through my years of spiritual practice is that it's not about adding on extra stuff or it's not about spiritualizing my ego 
but it's mm-hmm. about peeling these things away, you know, and then really awakening to the truth of who I am, which no t-shirt or no tattoo or no phrase could ever, you know, ever encapsulate. So what's your take on all of this? Uh, uh, thank you. This is one of my favorite lines from, from the book, uh, you know, that you said. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you, you said you have tattoos and you curse like a sailor at times, right? And I'm vegan and, and I chant Sanskrit mantra <laughs> all the times. And I, I purposely bring, bring this up always. I'm vegan. I have my mantras, but that does not make me a super sacred being. Right. Uh, the spirituality is way beyond that too, right? Uh, Yes, this is uh, this is part of my spiritual process. Uh, mantras were part of my spiritual journey, but uh, that's that may be just ten percent, twenty percent of the whole thing. Yeah, uh, just by reading a mantra would not make anyone spiritual. There's a lot that goes in, uh, and I think the problem today, one of the major problem I feel is it's the lack of authentic teachers also, because the, a teacher is a leader, right? right? They lead the students. The uh, the people I meet who have been misguided, they have been misguided by the teachers. The teachers would sell them a certain element of spirituality and then they believe that, they live that. Uh, and student uh, with that fertile, innocent mind, they just embrace whatever the teacher was saying. And you know, mostly what happens, we don't do what the teacher says, we do what the teacher is doing. Mm-hmm. So it's the leading by example. And when the teachers saw see their teacher, uh, sorry, when the students see their teacher, yes doing a certain behavior, acting in a certain way, it, they just automatically pick that vibration. And they just start to you know, behave in the same way. And I, I've seen that a lot, uh, because I grew up among teachers, I saw a lot of outside teachers. And uh, I have uh, a lot of resonance with my father's uh, take in spirituality. And he did not teach me that I just picked on, on with his daily you know, behavior, what he does. So I have this habit of waking up, taking shower. And the first thing I do is I light the candle and I sit and meditate because that's what I've been seeing my mom, dad doing. Mm. And uh, I remember, you know, we had this great marketing guru in in our home many years ago. And he was telling my father that uh, you wear shirt and coat pant like a normal man, but uh, we are going to change that. You've got to wear that robe and you know, uh, wear a little monkly clothes, little saintly clothes, so that your brand looks more uh, spiritual, divine. And I was sitting there and uh, I was curious to, you know, see what's happening. And my father said, I can do all of that, but I have a, a teenage son here and he's listening to us and he's he's going, he may follow my footsteps one day. I don't want to teach him the wrong stuff. I don't want to teach him that I can be a big spiritual guru by changing my clothes and putting on this show. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. And this is the reason I've not been doing that because I want to give my son this little gift of being authentic and mm-hmm. being on, being honest in the journey. doesn't matter how successful he becomes or, or even if he doesn't. Right. And uh, that gave me a lot of courage to just be who I am. Uh, and I, I, in the beginning, I did have my share of nervousness and concerns or I, am I speaking in the right way? Am I teaching in the right way? Do I look presentable and all of that? But it all faded away as I started realizing that my emotional energy is connecting with the emotions of my students, the seekers who come to listen. And to, in today's spirituality, the number one change we have to do is through the teachers itself, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I feel we don't need a lot of great teachers. Even one good teacher can make a lot of difference if the seekers are surrendered to, to that teacher right right yeah so if, if there's only 10 authentic teachers and that's all we would probably need and the seekers got to surrender them to those teachers and then you know it's it's going to be a great great unfolding mm. uh the the problem is there are so many teachers now and the, and they have all their you know branding ideas and they they want to sell things in a certain way and they all have to earn their bread and butter, and so do we. Uh, but I think we there's a responsibility that comes with this job, mm. and uh, we all got to realize that responsibility. Uh, yeah. That's 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 I think what I I would just like to add. That's all. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's really well said because, yes, in, in a lot of ways, too, I see, I mean, it's no surprise that spirituality has just become a big business as well. And there is a lot of people who are considered teachers today where their concern is more with the marketing and with, you know, the money and the followers and this and that than with the actual teaching. And now this is nothing unique to the Western culture. Of course, it happened in Eastern culture well uh-huh. before the spiritual explosion here. But it's really disheartening at times to see that because these people are in a position to truly help others. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it ends up doing more harm than good, you know, where people will come in and they will start embarking in this kind of light clean version of spirituality where you know they're doing a a little bit of stuff where it's just scratching the surface but they're not really doing that work of going deep within where the real healing begins to take place and i have a friend who i've talked about him a few times on the show great writer jeff brown and he talks about a friend that he had who suffered with depression and anxiety and she fell into what he calls it the new cage movement and he said for three years she did this and, and went to you know the conferences and retreats and ended up still killing herself you know she thought that this stuff would would save her but it was nothing more than a band-aid there was no real healing going on now that obviously is an extreme case but it's important you know to to bring that to the light because you know there, there are ramifications for for making your stuff watering it down making it marketable you know and and having that be more of your concern than really connecting with people. Now, I recognize in my own life, I might go far the other way because, you know, I look at my bank account and I'm living week to week. Like, I, I don't mince words. Like, I'm very transparent. I don't mm. do this for the money. You know, I, I yes, there are bills to be paid, but I would much rather spend five hours online responding to emails and connecting with people than marketing. I understand it's not to say marketing's bad because of course that's part of what we do. I get it. But it's just for me, it's like I struggle with that. And I'm just one man. I don't have anyone else. I, I do literally everything myself. And it can be draining and taxing. It actually uh put a lot of strain on my wife and I's relationship last year and I learned a lot from that. But anyways, like you said, you know, if if we can find a good teacher you know, that there's no shortage. There are still great teachers out there today. I agree. Yeah. With, yeah, with integrity that are really serving the people. Um, that's what matters. It's And what I love, too, about some of my favorite teachers, people like Ram Das, you know, who's, who's out there still teaching, mm-hmm. is he doesn't teach us to compartmentalize our spirituality, <laughs> you know, to just sitting formally on the meditation cushion or in yoga class it's it's everywhere at all times it makes it actually makes me think of a quote from ramana maharshi you know the great sage of india and he says uh the world is an illusion brahman alone is real brahman is the world you know which sounds kind of counterintuitive but when you start to have that experience of waking up and you start to see that there's more than the ego there's also this witnessing awareness and but then you go even a step further than that and it's it's all literally happening at the same time. There's, it, it's kind of beyond the scope, I guess, of what we can get into today. But it's really, um, I appreciate Ramana's teachings, of course. You know, they they help pull us out of that. So, absolutely. And since you mentioned Ramana Maharishi, you know, he had a very uh, powerful mantra, a very simple and powerful mantra. You know, BBC, CNN, they came to document his life, and they were very curious, and they asked him what's one mantra or what's one teaching that changed everything in your life and what would you want to share with the world and he said i have only one mantra which is uh who which means who am i mm-hmm. and he said that's all i do who am i i constantly meditate on who am i and every day new layers are being peeled off and that's all i want to share with the world yeah and obviously the the, the media was a little uh, you know, they wanted something really powerful, explosive, <laughs> and he gave them "Who am I?" That's all. But that's that's what there is, right? Right. And if you sit and work with that, you will begin to understand what he's actually saying, and you will recognize the power of self inquiry. It for me has been tremendous in my life. Big, it's big, powerful. very it's powerful. Yeah. You, you, there's actually another practice I like that you share in your book. Since we're speaking of practices, um. It's, I think it's on page 37. You talk about uh, uncovering your authenticity. Um, 
Is that a practice you would would be willing to talk about for listeners? I'm I'm trying to pull it up here. It, uh, uh, I I think it's the tantra meditation you must be talking about, right? Uh, let me see. Yeah. Uncover your authenticity. It talks about looking at yourself in the mirror. What do you wear that makes you feel like a spiritual seeker? Mm-hmm. That one. Um, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate. It. Do you want me to just read it, or do, would I, I can? No, if you want to share, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll thank talk you. About it. Yeah. So yeah, it basically talks about uh, first of all looking at all the labels you have. You know, list down mm-hmm. all the labels very honestly. Uh, it could be any label, good labels, negative labels. Put down the labels, the demands you have from these labels, uh, all the norms you have been following. You know, there's no right and wrong in this process. Just keep on writing without any logics. Fill one page, two page, three page. And then really meditate on each point that you have written. For example, if I have written, I'm a spiritual seeker. I am a writer. I am a son, a husband, a brother. So I just got to deal with each label I give to myself. And then I have to meditate without these labels. Because I am me without all of these labels. Mm-hmm. These are the roles that we all play. And we don't have to become our roles. We have to play our roles. Uh, playing the role is, is, is something that's spoken uh, in a big way in the Eastern traditions. You know, they call it Leela. Leela means the play of consciousness, the play of life. And the Eastern sages, uh, they came up with this brilliant concept that you are in a Leela. You are in a drama of life. Right. And don't take everything so seriously. You may have the best wife, best parents, best friends in the world, but don't get attached to them. Love them fully. Uh, But these are roles you are playing. Uh, As a spiritual teacher, I have this role to play. So I I never take it too seriously. It's it's a role I'm so proud of and I'm so honored. But again, it's a role. And when I meditate, I meditate by unmasking myself from all of these roles. Uh, And if you're wearing a bracelet, a bead... Anything you're wearing, anything you are uh, labeling yourself with, release those labels at least for 30 minutes a day or 24 minutes a day, one minute for one hour. Mm. And really dig deeper into who am I without all of these labels? Who am I without all of these roles? Because sometimes we get too deep into these roles and we forget our real identity. Uh, I meet, uh, you know, some women, especially the women from Asia in India. Uh, in India, but now it's changed a lot. But there was a time when women were just confined to, you know, be a home a housewife, be a homemaker, which is a great responsible role. But they, there are a lot of women wanted to be out and explore some other areas, but they couldn't. And uh, uh, when I talk to these uh, women, we talk about the labels they have. Being a mother is great. Being a wife is great. Being a homemaker is great. But look at yourself without these labels you have put on. And then they really tap into some other creativity. And feminine energy is more receptive to meditation than, than a masculine energy. Hmm. So, uh, And I'm not saying all, all males will not have that receptivity. But if a male is in touch with their feminine energy, they will be able to slip into the, the creativity, the meditation easily. Hmm. Uh, that's and, and not every woman got to have a, a great receptivity. If the woman is in touch with her feminine energy, then it happens easily. Mm. So yeah, that's a very powerful exercise, Chris. Uh, meditating without these labels, uh, I do that. I think every time I can do it. If every day I do it, every day. Mm. Uh, the more my work is increasing, the more I realize the importance of doing this. Med- right. Doing this, med- yeah. <laughs> Well, I love it. Yes. And it's so easy to do. You know, that's why I love that, uh, that it's simple. You don't, you know, you don't need anything. You just do this practice. You bring it into your life. And, exactly. and it, yeah, I really enjoy it. I've, I've uh, done it a bit since I read oh, this. Yeah. yeah. And I really, I really like it a lot, actually. Um, so, man, I'm looking at the clock and time is just flying by, which is <laughs> never a bad thing when you're doing a podcast. Um, but I'm realizing there's so much we're not going to be able to get to today. We still have about 15 minutes, but, um, man, now it's a question of, boy, which, which do we talk about? Um, there is another excerpt I wanted to read. I find God, we uh, talked a little bit about God earlier, but uh, you know, that that's, that's obviously, uh, a, it could be a very loaded word and topic for some people. So I wanted to read another excerpt from your book in which you talk about God and then we can unpack a little bit about that and see where we're at after that. 
So you write, Initially, I was unsure whether I should use the word God in this chapter because of its numerous interpretations. I thought about going the New Age route and instead of using the words divine, universe, energy, or higher self. But then I realized that I want my words to wake you up. If I use the safe and accepted terminology, then I am just reassuring you about all of the current trending versions of God. So I'm using the word God throughout the chapter and book so that we understand it in its totality. Another thing I wasn't sure about was which pronoun to use. She or he would bring gender norms into the picture. It would be unfair to limit God with our limited labels. Hence, I will stick to using it to refer to God. Many ancient masters of India have often used it, and I find that very apt. This labeling of the spiritual force in the world is just one of the many problems with religion. Here's a conversation that brings up uh, another. One day, I was having a casual chat with our Pandit G, a Sanskrit scholar who performs rituals during special occasions. In a note you make, G is a respectful addition to a name that's commonly used in India. Pandit G, the world is messed up, I said. People don't seem to understand anything about God, yet they bow down daily in his name. I find it very disturbing. What to do, Chandrash G, he said. People can be ignorant. Understanding God is the most important purpose in life. Exactly. Just the other day, I was having coffee with a friend. He is a well-known name in the African-American community, and I am fond of him. But I was struck when he told me that God is black. And then just a few days later, a new white student joined our meditation center and claimed that God is white. How crazy. Pandit G responded to me calmly and confidently. They are both confused people, Chandrash G. And he said, God is brown and we know it. <laughs> you know that India has 33 million gods, right? We can't be wrong. <laughs> this is real conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because something that I, I, sh I was going to say earlier when we we're talking about teachers is the fact that we, we are able to laugh at ourselves and poke fun and have fun with this spiritual path. And cause it can get so heavy at times. So, so let's, let's talk about, you know, God and, and the fact that God's obviously brown. So <laughs> that's a great story. So, you know, I, I always feel God made man and now man is trying to make God. He's, you know, we are trying to create a man-made God. Right. Sure. And the God we have today is a very personal God. You know, he, he behaves like human and he, it's a he. That's also, I'm not surprised why it's a he because, you know, when, when, when a male dominant dominant society creates a god, it has to be he. Right. So this god we have created, he loves to be admired, he loves to punish, he loves to reward, and that's in Indian culture also. It's here also. It's all over. If if there's that religious god, they have made it into a very man-made, into a uh, he, uh, he behaves like a human and a human who's not even enlightened yet. Mm. That kind of God there is. Right. And it fascinated me so much, this whole concept about God, because India is a country which believes blindly in, in God. Uh, they believe in religion, they believe in God, and it's a part of their daily ritual. And the, the funny thing is, people, uh, a lot of people who worship God, who worship the whole idea of God, they don't even, they don't get to experience it. Uh, when they're born, the family gives them your, the label of being a Christian, Hindu or whatever, right? And the, the child grows up believing that this God exists. It's just a belief. Right. And and those who don't believe that God does not exist, I I feel they both are in the same boat. One decided to believe that God exists and other decided to disbelieve. Just because I don't see God, God does not exist. Mm. Both the groups are on the same board. They, they, are, they are not ready to do the work to experience the godliness. Uh, you, can, you can experience godliness. Uh, believing something so big can be very harmful to our awareness. You can believe a little thing. I can believe it's raining. It's not going to change anything in my day, right? It's raining. It's hot. It's cold. But believing something so big can be very harmful. Mm. Believing that God exists and he's going to do all of that. He's going. He's watching over me. He's counting all my sins, all my good acts, bad acts, and he's going to punish me. It sounds like a very a Quentin Tarantino kind of God. <laughs> 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 Who is going to be very violent eventually. Right. 
so that I feel this creates a very uh, a fearful worship. Uh, and God should be worshipped after you drop all the fears. There, there's, there, there should be no fearful God. It, it's, it should be all loving God, right? And I feel uh, all the people uh, who are into uh, religion, uh, they're not wrong. Religion has a lot of good stuff. I find a lot of amazing things into, into, in my religion. I, was, uh, I, I went to Catholic school in India for 10 years. So I learned a lot about Bible, Jesus, and I found amazing teachings there also, amazing teachings in my religion, in Buddhist, uh, Buddhism also. Mm-hmm. But if you start to blindly believe anything, it's, it's going to ru- ruin your whole uh, awareness. It's going to degrade your consciousness. And many years ago, I made this video when I was just new. By the way, it was my first video, first ever video. It was titled God of No Religion. And I talked about you should be meditating on a God that does not belong to any religion. That God does not have any gender. That God does not have a beginning or an end. It's just a a presence. It's a consciousness that you need to experience within yourself. You cannot find it in a religious building. Either you experience it in yourself and only then you will start to find it in the people, in the tree, the mountains, the rain, uh, and temples and churches also. But if you fail to discover it within you, you will fail to find it, experience it outside also. Mm-hmm. And also th- there's a lot of conditioning involved with this, Chris. When you go to a church or a temple, you're automatically trained in your mind to believe that God lives here, it exists here. And when you come home and you go to your work, you f- you feel no God, God cannot be here. It's only in the religious buildings. Uh, and that's another uh, concept that you know we are taught wrong. God is not selective. It does not have you know its favorites. Uh, it's either everywhere or it, it does not exist. That's what I feel now. That's what I experience now. Either it is everywhere or it's it doesn't exist. It's just a man-made illusion then. Right. And, and that resonates with me. You know, when you talk about Leela and the, the, the dance, um, you know, my at least experience to this point has led me to what resonates is that it's spirit continuing to wake up to a self capital S spirit and just huh. unfolding more and more, you know, awakening, awakening. And at each stage of awakening, it, becomes more available to itself you know it kind of like the the leela the whole dance um and that's why going back to what we were talking about earlier there that's i'm not able to compartmentalize spirituality you know with that experience and understanding because i begin to see like you said it's either everywhere or it's nowhere and i'm very much the same so as i've written in books i've been at heavy metal concerts and spirit is just as much with me or uh-huh. there in, in everything that's happening as it is when I'm back at home and quiet sitting on my cushion meditating. It's uh-huh. all part of the dance, all of it, you know, and it's beautiful. I love that, that I, I am able to have those experiences. It's not like that's always the way it is for me because I will fall right back and, and, of course, you know, you are, right, yeah. exactly. But you know, having that experience, it's really beautiful. And, and Buddhism might call it interconnectedness. You know, take the God word out, but you see that this is because that is everything, you know, is dependent upon everything else. And they have mm-hmm. their teachings of form and emptiness. And it's pretty incredible to me that when you get down to the mystics of all the great religions, mm-hmm. the core is the same. The religions aren't saying the same things, so I, I don't want to confuse that. But these mystics, like Meister Eckhart, like Ramana Maharshi, like Thich Nhat Hanh or Nagarjuna, you know, they're all saying the same thing of oneness, uh-huh. and not just the cliche "we're all one Namaste," like a very yeah. real Namaste, a very literal uh-huh. Namaste. Absolutely. Yeah. They all are singing the same song. It could be in different language or yeah. different music to it, but it's actually the same lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, really well said. I like that. I also loved your Quentin Tarantino God uh, <laughs> reference. I've never thought of it like that, but it makes absolutely perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I find Quentin very interesting. I, sometimes I can't watch his movies. It, it could be very brutal. Yes, yeah. But I think he's such a creative guy. And I, 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 have, I have a fascination with, with the stories, the storytelling experience. Incredible, so I've yeah. in Hollywood and Hollywood often in my work. <laughs> yeah, it, and I do too. I find using culture like that, it really helps connect with people, especially the younger generation where they're so enmeshed, you know, in these movies and music 
And when you can meet them there, if nowhere else, that's a start. You know, that's that's the opening. and It works out well. So I, I love that. I might have to borrow that from you. I'll give credit where it's due, though. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> so we have time for about one more topic. And here's what I'm going to do. Let's leave this up to you. It, there's, Like I said, there's a handful more. But I think the two that would be most helpful for the audience is either talking about ego, which you do in the book, um, or talking about death and our culture of fear. So do you have a preference? Which way? I think because we talked about death in the beginning a little sure. bit, right? Yeah. Uh, ego Talk is something we haven't talked at all so Great. far. So let's let's touch the the ego for a while. Yeah, I, I would love to, and I and I'm always happy to talk about that because it's such a man. Just like the God thing, it can be so loaded for some people. Ego, ego. You hear some people say just embrace it, be friends with it. Some uh, people say you know you can't. You have to destroy the ego. I remember um, watching a somewhat recent talk by Wayne Dyer before he passed. Uh, uh, I think it was him and Eckhart Tolle talking together. And he joked, he's like, I can't even keep track anymore because I've gone back and forth on, you know, destroy it, befriend it, destroy it, befriend it. And, you know, it was lighthearted, but that was what he was saying. So from from you, what is ego, you know, and and what do we do with it? I think, you know, we live in a very ego friendly society. Uh, uh, Ego is... treated as a gift almost sometimes though you got to have ego i remember growing up uh if i actually listened to every person you know who advised me i would be a very egoistic person today sure. um, so we live in a society that feeds ego that rewards ego uh anyone who's humble anyone who's very gentle you know sometimes they end up you know being cornered mm. uh so people also tap into ego to feel powerful to become powerful or feel that strength within uh, but the, the truth remains we cannot grow if you are stuck with that ego and in the book I define ego as two things eliminating godliness out and eliminating guru out so if you uh, really if you get rid of the godliness the divinity in your life if you get rid of the teachers in your life what you have is just ego uh, you know in, in, in Hindi you know we, we have this phrase in India they say Either ma or ma can remain in you. Ma means I, the ego, or ma means mother or goddess or divinity. One of you can remain in you. And ego is simply the idea that only I matter. Only my presence matters. Only I can do it. Only I am intelligent. Only I am the master of what's happening. This idea eludes people. And I think the spiritual ego is the most dangerous ego out there. When you start this journey of meditation, yoga, you have this special ego. I call it special ego because it's different than a regular ego. A a regular ego could be just feeling that I'm the best in business. Mm -hmm. I'm just the uh, best in my work. I'm I'm smarter than all of them. Uh, I look better than all of them. That's still less harmful. But the idea that I'm controlling the world, I'm God, you are God, <laughs> but <laughs> the idea that only I am God, exactly that, that could be very dangerous. And right. a spiritual ego scares me, honestly. When I meet people who give out those strong glimpses of spiritual ego, I literally step out because I find it very disturbing. Mm. Um, An ego can happen anytime. It's not that today I don't have ego and tomorrow also I won't. It's a daily reminder. Right. You've got to be humble. you got to surrender. And um, if you ask me what's one one way to uh, release the ego or to fix ego, I would say uh, surrender yourself to divinity or whoever you you find comfort in. And it doesn't, if you, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in divinity, it's okay. You can surrender your ego to your mother, your father, your friend, whoever you find comforting and open to your soul. Mm. It could be your lover. It could be the God. There's a Sufi culture. In Sufi culture, God is the lover. Mm. They write all the music for the God and they call her as the lover, as the divinity. Mm. So when you And when you surrender, the whole existence comes and protects you. Never feel that if I drop the ego, if I become humble and surrendering, people are going to eat me up. When people ask me this, I said, aren't they already eating you up? Don't you already meet people who are betraying you, who are not good with you, who are exploiting you, taking you for granted? 
And the answer is yes, there are people already and those people scared me. And I said, so anyway, uh, you are still meeting those people and why don't you take the other route of being humble and surrendering and I can guarantee you will not meet as many people who are betraying you right now. The quantity will decrease and eventually it will go away because right now you're not trusting the process of life and that's why you put on this wall of ego. Uh, so that ego needs to be dropped and when you surrender it, I guarantee the whole existence, the whole mother nature comes and protects you, nurtures you and create a wonderful human out of you. We're not talking about becoming enlightened, just right. a wonderful human. Right. And yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's, I'm loving what you're no, saying. Yeah, no, that, that, that's all basically because, uh, again, I I admit I had, I, I, I could feel I had a lot of ego in many ways. And still I remind myself not to be that egoistic person mm. uh, in any way. And I keep uh, in meditation, I surrender all that I know. And because the truth is all I know is that I don't know anything. Yeah. I can uh, claim or I can, you know, say fancy things. But the truth is I don't know anything. And I'm just sharing my tiny bit of experiences. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when I used to travel a lot with my father, now I don't travel much with him. We tra still travel, but it's a little less uh, Every time he starts his lecture in public, he starts with this one line that I'm the most humble and ignorant student of spirituality. And he puts stress on the ignorant student. <laughs> and I, as a little child, I, I was like, yeah, maybe dad does not know much. <laughs> That's why he's saying I'm the most ignorant student of spirituality. And he brings that up many times in his talks. And when I got to, you know, learn from him and see the amazing teacher and healer he is, I was like, He's not ignorant. He's by far the most amazing teacher that I, I have the you know fortune of meeting and learning. He's not ignorant. But he said, I remind, and when I asked him, why do you say that? He said, I remind myself that I'm the most ignorant student. I cannot take credit for what happens there. Right. And uh, obviously that, that kind of gave me my lesson of being that humble, surrendering student. Because that's how you can learn. Yeah. Really well said. I, uh, you know, I still have ego creep in all of the time. You know, it's not that it, it yeah, happens to all it's, of us. Yeah, it's not dismantled. It's not just you know. I mean, some people, sure, I believe they they fully awaken, but um, I don't. I don't know that ego ever leaves. I don't know. Maybe I'll know someday. Maybe not this lifetime. Who knows? But the the really cool thing that I have found, thanks to spiritual practice, is that more times than not, at least today, I don't have to act on it. I'm aware of it when it comes up. Sometimes even on a good day, I can kind of laugh at it when I get those thoughts like, oh, you know, whatever it might be about, very egoic thoughts. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful that there's a bit more awareness. Then the tricky thing, though, is also what you were saying earlier that um, spiritual ego is, you know, very frightening. And, and it is like I've met a lot of people who have these wonderful awakening experiences. It's, you know, it's not a one and done thing. It's It's an ongoing process. Um, but they start to maybe reside a little bit more in this witnessing awareness rather than the ego separated self. But what a lot of people don't recognize is that the ego can and will even find its way into that. It it, it can find its way into anything. Mm -hmm. So then they have, you know, sometimes the extreme case, I am God. Yes, we're all God, but no, no, that's the I am God. I am Jesus Christ. We're only all, I am God. <laughs> right, only I am. No, we're all Christ. But anyways... You know, that's just another opportunity, I find at least, to practice, to come back to myself and keep keep an eye out on myself. Uh -huh. And, you know, since you mentioned this, uh, yeah. I don't know if ego leaves or not. I just want to add on that. Yeah. I feel, see, the darkness doesn't leave us. It's just the sunlight covers the darkness. Right. So that way, ego may not leave us, but we can always have more of light, more of openness and awareness. And then that just shadows the, the ego. Yeah. It's still, it's still there. But it doesn't harm us anymore. It doesn't have any effect on us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I'm going to have to stop myself now because I'm like, I have 10 different ways I want to go with this, you know, with you on this. Um, we'll just have to have you back on the show again. That's what, oh, that's what we'll do. <laughs> cool. So we'll end it for now. 
but you know we'll, so we'll say goodbye for now but i look forward you know we'll reconnect again because uh there's so much more i want to talk to you about so much we didn't get to cover today but that's always a good thing when podcasts happen so you know really quick though before we go i know i mentioned your web address website web address breakthenorms.com the links will be up on the pages that this conversation is available at is there anything that you'd like to share before we wrap this up with the audience uh, no, I just want to, of course, thank you, Chris, for sure, having me. You. And uh, yes, you can visit my website, breakthenorms.com or my personal website, cbmeditates.com. Cool. Uh, I'll give you the link for that. Uh, uh, on the website, I share my daily events where I'm you know, going to give the talks. And mm-hmm. I do have free meditations on my website if they want to just download and play the meditations. Beautiful. Uh, and I do live talks on my Facebook page every other day, pretty much. Oh, good. Uh, so, you know, anyone can just come to the page, uh, look up my name. It's easy name, Chandresh Bhardwaj. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Very easy. <laughs> Very easy name to spell. And uh, just, you know, look me up on Facebook, connect me on social media and, you know, let's stay in touch. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. And uh, I'm so glad we got to connect in this way. And I know uh, we will have much more to discuss soon. Thank you, Chris. All thank right. you. So much. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.